failed to say hi to somebody who's visiting, but not really a visitor. Alexia, we're very happy to have you, even if you brought Riley. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Riley, we're happy to have you too. And to show you how happy we are, we got about 50 to 60 men that would like to have a party for you out behind the building right after the service this morning. <laughs> you do know I'm kidding, right? Riley. Pardon me, sir? I know there's still one. There's still a party. No. She did bring her boyfriend, gentlemen. You can say hi to him. Let him know what you think of Alexia. And uh, all kidding aside, we are happy to have you, brother. That's probably the world's worst introduction ever or welcome to a church ever, but we're very happy to have you and uh, good to see you, Alexia. We're glad you're here. So, All right, Psalm 106 in your Bible, if you would. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll read our text this morning. You'll see what I meant uh, when I said the song was perfect for the message. I want to preach to you on the merciful goodness of God. The merciful goodness of God. It's a very bizarre title. It's a very bizarre theme for a passage that is so filled with a bunch of negative stuff. I think my introduction and my conclusion this morning will be positive, and then everything I've got for you in between is overwhelmingly negative. And I hate to be in any way, shape, or form come across wrong, but the reason is because the introduction and conclusion are all about God, and everything in between is all about us. And I know that goes against the modern day way of thinking and what you get inundated by the news and all the rest of that stuff and by your lecturers in school and your lecturers in college and all the rest of that. But the reality of human nature is that it's a stinking train wreck. And even when we're trying to do right, we, we mess up. And so I don't want to, and I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna try not to like beat you up in the points in between the goodness and the mercy of God, the, how great the Lord is. The point is not this morning to try to beat you up and browbeat you and make you feel bad about all your failures because I think most of you already recognize those and feel bad about them. The point of it is going to be to point out what we are so we can address some of the things that cause us to sort of provoke His mercy. I would never recommend that. And, and discredit and overlook His goodness and I would never recommend that. And so if we can address some of those things in our own lives where we accentuate that stuff, I would say it would be smart to say I need to straighten that up a little bit. But really the point of it is not necessarily to try to necessarily push that point. I hope that you get some of that help if you need it along the way. But the point is going to be to help us praise the Lord for what a God He truly is. And I think if we can grab a hold of how great He really is, and we got to do the compare and contrast to get it. It'll help us want to serve Him more. And I really believe that true service to God that comes from joy and from strength, the yoke that's easy and the burden that's light, is when it's motivated by a genuine desire to please Him, a genuine desire to serve Him, rather than an oppression of, i got to straighten up, i got to straighten up, i got to quit, I'm so guilty, I'm so wrong all the time. I just don't think that's a great way to build a relationship. Psalm 106, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. 
Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all His praise? Blessed are they that keep His keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with thy favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, and that I may glory with thine inheritance. Skip down to the end of the chapter with me, if you would, please. Verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless the preaching this morning. I'm going to pick on Billy and ask him to please pray for me. Number one, it says, Praise ye the Lord. I think that's a commandment from God. I think God wants us to praise Him. And then it says this, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. So God wants us to not only praise the Lord, but God wants us to thank the Lord. Now praise and thanksgiving are not exactly the same thing, although they're regularly connected. They're not exactly the same. To thank somebody is to express gratitude for a favor, favor to make acknowledgments to one for the kindness that they bestowed. Right? So in other words, you've done some good things for me and you've accomplished some great things and I want to thank you for what you've done. Praise is similar, but it's different in that praise is to just simply uh, 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 acknowledge or commend somebody for their personal virtues or worthy actions. In other words, to praise God is to just literally, regardless of what he has or has not done for you, it's to commend him and to uplift him and to exalt him and to tell him about how good he is in his very nature on his own, regardless of how that does or doesn't apply to your life. God is worthy of praise. Notice a couple of things in the passage before we even get into the points this morning. And by way of introduction, God's worthy of praise because God's good. I'm telling you, you got to remember that. Because times come in your life in a sinful world when evil days do come. Just like we talked about before the service, somebody asked me a question where it says over there in the book of Isaiah, he said, I'm God, I create evil. And so the hyper-Calvinists come to you and say, you know, God is so in control of everything that God even created evil and created sin and and God has predestined and predetermined all this stuff because God is sovereign and so everything that happens is all about God. He made some vessels unto good and some unto bad and there's no choice you have in the matter. You're either elected or not and it is God that does it all, which is one of the biggest perversions of Scripture that there ever could be. By the way, I think almost all of those guys... I don't know of any really strong King James Bible-believing guys that are actually Calvinists. Because they have to run into passages that correct their doctrine, so they got to run to the originals to try to make the Bible say what fits their mindset of God. I'm here to tell you that, listen, God did not create sin. God created free will. You have to understand that. And, and, and in, the, in, the, in the original, before the world was ever created, Lucifer made a decision. God allowed those beings to choose what they want. 
When he said, I create evil, the answer to that is in the definition of the word evil. Evil is not always sin, even though your modern mind connects evil to sinfulness and darkness and wickedness. Evil is a bad day. Evil is I went to the doctor and I got an evil report. Evil is divorce court. Evil is I'm sick, I got the flu. It's an evil day. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So God created evil in the sense of his response when they sin and the judgment of God comes. That doesn't mean that God is the originator of sin. God cannot be tempted with sin, neither tempteth he any man. So you've got to understand that even though there's a lot of problems in life and a lot of struggles in life, and God may even allow some of those problems to come to pass in your life, God is still good. He's so good it's overwhelming, like they just sung. And sometimes you you don't understand what he's getting at or why he allowed this or what he's going to do with it, but you can't ever forget that God is good no matter what's going on around you. It's in the very essence of his nature. It's part of who he is. It's something that cannot be divorced from God himself. It is his goodness. And I'm telling you, you can't forget the goodness of God because if you forget it, you'll fail. I'm telling you, you'll fail if you forget how good he is. Go back with me, if you would, please, to Psalm 27. I want you to see a verse in here that's a great verse, boy. I want you to see Psalm 27, and I want you to look at verse 13. David, man after God's own heart. No, no arguing that David was a strong man, right? No debating that David was a good man full of good, strong character. Here's what he said. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When he wrote verse 13, he was obviously thinking back on a very dark time. And he said, I had to look at my problems and then I had to realize that God is still good in the land of the living. I had to believe in that by faith in a moment that was dark. And look at how I really believe I'm right when I say that. Look at verse 14. He said, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know why God's worthy to be praised? Because God is good. And if you let the devil pull that out of your mind, and if you forget to remember that God is good, you will get to quitting points in your Christian life. And when you quit, you hear me? When you quit, your problems don't go away, they get worse. When you quit, you don't get to see the goodness come out of your problems. God's not just good, but God's also merciful. I'm so thankful for that. If you would look at Psalm 25 while you're over here in the early part of Psalm, look at 25 verse 7. I'm glad I got a merciful... I mean, I want to praise Him this morning because He's good. I want to give Him His commendations. He deserves it. I want to praise Him this morning because He's merciful. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. Psalm 25, 7. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake. 
O Lord. You see the connection? Man, you know what you got this morning? You got a merciful God. Go back to Psalm 106 if you would, please. He's a merciful God. And He's a good God. And I'm telling you this much, if, I, if God Almighty didn't have any mercy in Him, if I was serving a God that didn't, didn't process mercy, if I was serving a God that didn't process goodness, if I, if I was serving a God, a holy God, who couldn't be merciful to me, I would just stink and give up. I'm telling you right now, I'd give up. There would be absolutely no point in my sinful flesh and with my failures and my shortcomings and all the things that get in my way and all the problems of my life, there would be no point in serving a God that had no mercy for a man who's trying and still fails. And I'm trying and I still fail just like you. So we ought to praise God this morning because, man, I mean, I might be a train wreck, but he's merciful. My life might be difficult from time to time, but he's good. And he's worthy to be praised. In Psalm 106, verse 2, he says this, Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? I got chewing on that. You know what God is? God's mighty. You know what's hard about that? It's difficult to wrap your mind around the power of God. What he's able to do. Part of the reason that I personally struggle with it. See, I don't struggle much with creation. I mean, to me, that's very logical, right? Like, to me, that God spoke the world into existence is like nothing. That's easy for me to grab a hold of. That, that to me, is easier to grab a hold of than some kind of a professor educating us into evolving and all the rest of that weirdness. I mean, you got here in something that was intelligently designed, a vehicle. You're sitting in something intelligently designed, a building. You flipped on lights in the building by something that was intelligently designed. Everything, you're wearing stuff that had intelligent design behind it, purpose and planning, an author making it. I mean, everything you see, it's just common sense to me to believe that there was an almighty God, a creator of heaven and earth. That doesn't give me any trouble at all. When you look around and see everything, what you drove in, what you're sitting in, what you wear, your own body, everything requires good maintenance or it falls apart. I mean, nothing to me about creation, that, the mighty acts of God, that, that to me is easy to grab a hold of. And yet, even in all of that, to who can really, I mean, who can really spell all that out? Who really understands, I mean, really understands the way the body works? It's amazing to me to talk to people that have spent over a decade in school studying one particular subject about the human body, and you sit there and you start asking them questions, and, and the answer is, well, we don't really know. But we do know this and we don't know that and it could be this and that and the other thing and it's so intricately built and, and strangely designed that no two people even have the exact same responses with a similar condition and we're not really sure. we got to study them for days on end on unbelievable levels that cost unbelievable amounts of technology and finances and education and all that they do, they still can't get a hold of how God made your body. Yeah. Let alone what's up there in outer space. It's a wild thing to me. He's a mighty God. What I struggle with is why does such a mighty God not do more for me? Why did God allow this to happen? 
And I'm trying to tell you this morning the best way I know how, God helping me, the best way I know how, your body is so intricately designed you can't even understand it all. It literally, listen to me, the power of life and death is not in the doctor. And I thank God for him and go to him. The power of life and death is in Almighty God. They could say you got six months and God says forget them. I'm giving you 20 more years. And they could say, yo, you got 20 years. I mean, you got the physique and you got the, the metabolism and you got the nervous system and you got the brain of a 25-year-old even though you're 46. And God could say, you're done. And boom, just like that. What? He died. There's a mighty God. And while we can't figure out all the intricacies even of the human body or of creation or of the universe, I'm telling you, when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to what God's wanting to do in your life and through your life for the glory and honor of Almighty God, for the furtherance of the gospel, for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the edifying of the saints, for helping the next generation get a hold of something that's real. Hey, listen, you can't comprehend what God's doing. You can't get His mighty acts. So things won't make sense to you sometimes. I'm telling you, but you got to believe in the goodness and the mercy of God. Amen. And you got to realize that his mighty acts go so far above and beyond your ability to comprehend what's happening that truly in this life you will see the goodness of God. But no matter what you see, if you're an old man sitting back and an old woman sitting back and saying, listen, God's good and here's how it worked out. And here's how God brought my good and his glory out of it. You still won't know all that God was doing until you get to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You won't know. If I can influence one person who's 20 years younger than me and he influences two people who's 20 years younger than him and he influences four people 20 years younger than him, do you understand how in just a few short years if I die and the Lord tarries another two, three hundred years, you know why the judgment seat of Christ doesn't come till we're all up there? Because what you're doing for the Lord in submission to Him and in following Him and in trying to serve Him keeps tallying up. That's why the judgment doesn't come till long after this whole thing is done and He's wrapped up this time period. You've got to trust in His mighty acts. I think the things about God that make the most sense to me. The way I understand His goodness and His mercy, the way that I understand His might, and it probably has to do with the way my brain works and my personality, my soul, the way God created me. So if I'm your pastor and you're sick of negativity, then I'm really sorry. But I'm just being who I am and I'm giving you what God gives to me and I hope it's a help and a blessing to you. So I'm not trying to beat you up this morning. But to be honest with you, I see God's goodness and His mercy and I see His power when I notice my forgetful nature. Here's what I mean. Look at verse number 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. Look at verse 13. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. Look at verse 21. They forgot God their Savior which had done great things in Egypt. And God didn't kill him. 
after all God had done for them, they kept forgetting how good he was. You know what shows the mercy and the goodness and the wonderful works of God? It's that in spite of the fact that you and I forget how good it is to be saved, he still loves us. In spite of the fact that you and I forget all that God's done for us in our lives, He still puts up with us. In spite of the fact that we forget all that He is and all that He's done, how great it is to be saved, do you remember when you were saved? Does that mean anything to you this moment? Right now! I mean, right now! Does it mean anything to you that you're born again? How often do you forget how good it is to be saved? You know, one of the benefits God brings to a church when, when new people come in and get saved or new people come to the church like, man, I haven't been under this kind of preaching. And even if they're already saved, they're just like, this is so... You know, you know what a benefit that brings to the rest of us? Watching that fresh blood, watching that new excitement. That's why it's a real blessing to me when God puts young preachers in the church. Listen, I don't put, I don't, I'll get to it in a minute. I don't push anybody to be called to preach. If anything else, I'm like, okay, good for you. What do you want from me? Why? Because I don't want somebody doing something they're not supposed to be doing, which we'll get to in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. You know why it encourages me to see younger preachers coming along? I'm a young preacher, but younger preachers coming along? Because it gets me thinking again about how exciting it was. It gets me thinking again about how, man, what would I do without preaching? I mean, that's what God put in me. It's exciting to see that excitement. It's good for us to see people getting saved and the Lord beginning to change their life because we oftentimes forget how good God's been to us. Listen, I don't care if you were saved when you were five years old like me. I've been saved 41 years now. 41 years I've been saved. Listen, at, at almost six years old, a month before my sixth birthday, I was not a heroin addict. Do you understand that? I wasn't a horrible, fornicating, wicked, licentious man. I was five. And my testimony is no less than somebody who gets saved later in life and God comes in and makes great changes. It was a blessing to be saved. I remember being excited about my salvation as a little boy. I remember having times in my room. You think I'm crazy. I'm just showing you. I'm still just being me when I preach like this, okay? I would be singing the Sunday school songs, laying on my captain's bed. There was a Lions football thing. I guess nowadays that's a better thing than it was for 20 years. Is that a better thing now? I don't know. Okay. I know nothing about it. Could care less. But it was a Lions football thing. My dad was trying to make a man out of me. My dad didn't know nothing about football either. But he just, you know, Lions. I remember laying on that captain's bed that I had and getting so excited singing the Sunday school songs. I was kicking my feet and I was starting to scream and little squeaks were coming out and I was embarrassed. So I put a pillow over my face. I was kicking my feet. I mean, I was that excited as a little boy. I wasn't even seven years old. And the Spirit of God was speaking to my heart about how good it was to be saved. You know what I was? I was a little sinner, man. I knew I was a sinner. There's no question about it. I was in trouble all the time. Can you give me a, can you give me a pass for a second? You can delete this from the audio later. <laughs> my dad was a very, very, very polar opposite of me, okay? Very intellectual very professional, very uh, almost, almost English. You know what I mean? Like, and so we would have to say things like bowel movement, <laughs> urinate. So when somebody else's kids would say poop and pee, that was like a bad... Is that, are we okay? 
You guys are gonna survive. You all have TVs and Facebook and Instagram, and you're gonna get. A, I can't believe he'd say that in the pulpit. I know it's not classy, and I'm sorry. I'm trying to get better about that stuff. But just take my illustration for a second. To me, to me, in my little heart, poop and pee was a sin. Because Dad said, "Don't say that. That's wrong." You say, "I have to urinate, or I have to have a bowel movement." So my, my mom, my cousin was over, and we got under the picnic table, and nobody was out there. And so I just said, let's just try cussing for a little while. <laughs> my mom was in the little bedroom in a little uh, Garden City house we lived in, probably an 800-square-foot house, and she had the window open in the back bedroom, and she was sitting there listening. And I found out later she was laughing so hard she couldn't pull it together. But she finally managed to pull it together, and I was under the table saying, poo poo, pee pee, pee pee, poo poo, poo poo, pee pee, pee pee, poo poo. And man, it felt so good. Like, yeah, I'm a real man. Mess with me, I dare you. I finally remember looking up, and my mom was standing there. Michael, get in the house. <laughs> I'm dead. But you know what it really was in my little heart? It really was sin because I thought it was wrong and I did it anyways and it felt good when I did wrong. I knew, I know one thing for sure. I knew I was a sinner and I remember when the Lord saved me because I remember telling my dad, I feel like somebody took a truck off my chest. I felt a sense of overwhelming relief and you know, 41 years later, you can forget how great that is. And how dare me forget how great it is that the almighty God of glory, the God who spoke the world into existence, sent his son down to live the perfect life because I can't and to take my sin upon himself and to be beaten and mocked and stripped naked and a crown of thorns be put on his head and nails through his hands and nails through his feet and everybody abandoned him completely lonely and betrayed and rejected and then to have his own father say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And to be buried and to descend into the lower parts of the earth to put my sin there and to rise again the third day and to ever live to make intercession for me, how dare me forget how good it is to be saved. Amen. And yet I do, don't you? Don't you start complaining? Yes, sir. Don't you get a little bit uh, out of shape? Sir. Let me say something else about forgetfulness. How dare me not forget what he's forgotten? On one hand, you shouldn't forget. On the other hand, you better forget. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what shows the mercy and the goodness of God? Now, this is going to be tough for some of you to grab a hold of, but I'm praying the Holy Spirit makes it make sense for you. Some of you keep provoking God and pushing His goodness and pushing His mercy because you won't forgive yourself. Listen to me. Now, now I'm not trying to be mean to you or hard on you, but humility is one thing. False humility is demonic. I'm a loser. I'm no good. I'm a failure. All I can see is my failures all the time. You're just feeling sorry for yourself. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed of Mike. Did you know that? I'm embarrassed of myself sometimes. 
I, I, can't, I cannot stand when I'm walking through the house and one of them pulls up one of my messages, I say, shut that off. I literally can't stand the sound of my voice. I'm embarrassed of myself sometimes. You know, sometimes when I fail, I don't accept God's forgiveness. I won't let it go. How dare you remember something he says under the blood? Some of you need to forget about your ex. Can I say that again? Amen. You got no business digging all that up all the time. Well, I can't forget about them. I got a yours, mine, and ours kind of deal. Okay. So then forgive yourself and move on. Drop it. Stop digging it up. You know what God said about Israel when he called her a hola and a hola bar or something like that? He said she multiplied her whoredoms in her old age because she thought back on the old days. She was too old to continue doing it, but she kept thinking back to that day. You better forget what God's forgetting. You better forgive yourself when God's forgiven you. Israel just failed the Lord in forgetting how good he was, in forgetting the fullness of his mercy and the fullness of his goodness, and your sin just accentuates the praise of God. That's all it does. So when the devil reminds you of all your failures and all your shortcomings, you know what you ought to do? You ought to turn it on to the Lord. And you ought to say, yeah, you're right, devil. Ain't it amazing that God's using me? The forgetful nature of myself or of mankind shows me the merciful goodness of God. Notice something else, though, the fearing of the wrong things in verse 8. Well, look at the end of 7. But provoked him to at the sea, even at the Red Sea, Israel provoked him. When they remembered not his mercies, when they forgot his works, they provoked him. Nevertheless, in verse number 8, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. You know what Israel did when they provoked God? They feared the wrong things. You ever stop and look at yourself a little bit? What gets you all worked up during the week? You know why so many Christians can't serve God right now? They're paralyzed. I know Christians literally paralyzed by politics of all things. I just can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. It's just so crazy out there. I mean, the world's just so crazy. The he, she, they, him, she, the, she, her, they, them. I just, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? <laughs> Who cares? Why are you fearing all these things? You're never told to fear. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Listen to me. But still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. 
know what the Bible says? It says not to revile the gods. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. I've made that mistake a couple of times in, in, in reviling the gods, preaching against false gods and getting worked up about it and going too far and getting in the car and go, Lord, you told me not to do that. He said, lay thy hand upon him, remember the battle, do no more. Sometimes, like Brother Lynch said, sometimes it's better to study a wasp nest than to throw a rock at it. Think about that for a little bit. Don't revile the gods. Why? Well, why would you throw a rock at a wasp nest? You know what you're not told? You're not told to fear them. So more than once I got done preaching, I get in the car, and I just got an overwhelming like, oh boy. And then I think back on what I said, and I say, God, be merciful to me, be merciful to the church, be merciful to my family, protect us and help us. You might think it's a joke, but you're just clueless if that's the way you think. Right. You ain't walked a mile in my shoes, you're clueless. It ain't a joke. And then I got to remember, I'm not supposed to fear them. You know, you got an entire system out there working against you. Not just your flesh. But you got the world working against you and you got the devil working against you. So you got to remember that. That's all you're told to do about it is remember it. So that when it hits you, you can address it. And then the next verse, did we in our own strength confide? <laughs> our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. A man of God's own choosing. Dost ask, dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Sabbath is his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. You realize you're not told to fear the economy? What's getting you all worked up? You're not supposed to fear divorce. You're not supposed to fear your kids. I'm preaching now. God help people that make decisions on church based on what their children think of it. There's no friends there. Well, shut up and sit in the pew then. I'm going there because that's where I'm getting fed. And what you need more than a little buddy at church, God only knows what kind of little buddy you're going to hook up with, you little devil. What you need more than that is a daddy that knows something about God. Amen. You don't fear your kids. I could care less if my kids get mad at me. Amen. I don't want them mad at me. I don't like it. I love my kids. I do. Nothing makes me happier than when my kids in public aren't embarrassed to me. Seriously, it's great, man. Like, how you're a teenager. What is wrong with you? You're supposed to be embarrassed to me right now. I'm your dad. So then I go out of my way to embarrass him, and it worked once. It really worked one time. I got her good because the boyfriend was there. So that now I know how, what buttons to push. Amen. <laughs> but listen, man. I, if they get mad at me, they get mad at me. I'm not afraid of my children, and you shouldn't be afraid of yours. Sometimes you gotta tick them off if you're a good parent. And then let them deal with it and see what decisions they'll make. Some of you fellas, I'm, listen, I'm sorry. Give me a second, okay? You shouldn't fear your wife. I cannot abide men that are led around by the nose ring. I don't care what the culture says. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't live like that. I couldn't live like that. In a million years, I couldn't live like that. I would just, i tell you what would happen. I'd just sooner or later lose it. I'd be like, okay. 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 That doesn't mean you should abuse her. 
If you fear God, you'll copycat His goodness and mercy. I can't stand it. I can't, I can't stand it. I'm sick of watching people be scared of everything that they shouldn't be scared of. Public opinion. Public opinion. Public opinion. Have you seen how nutty the public is lately? This world has lost its mind. Men, men can, can dress like women. And nobody thinks nothing of it. And women can, can be butch and act like a man and nobody thinks nothing of it. People can shake their fist in God's face and try to hack their body up to become something they're not. And, oh, it's all acceptable and okay. And you're worried about public opinion. What's wrong with you? Get off Facebook and Instagram and you won't know what they're saying about you and it won't matter. You can go just live your life and be happy as a pig in something stinky. <laughs> in your own little world. You know what you're supposed to fear? You're supposed to fear God. And if you fear God, you're not going to worry about all the rest of it. You're going to fear God. I'm not afraid of the doctor. Listen, I want to be healthy. Amen. I want my family to be healthy. Amen. Nothing better than all of that. But listen, ultimately, it's all in God's hands anyhow. What are you fearing? It's got to make him frustrated. When he sees his people worrying about everything else but his opinion. Honestly, now I'm really going to offend you if I haven't yet. Who cares what happens in November? How could he say that? God bless America, land that I love. Seriously? I, all I can sing is God grant her repentance. And then if she'll repent and turn back to God, then you can ask God to bless her at that point. At this point, you are in post-Christian America. So what I see out there now is not God bless them. It's God let me reach them. God let me reach them. God let me reach them. God, is there somebody for me to reach? God let me give the gospel to somebody today. I don't hate my country. You've heard me say it many times. The only thing I'd rather, not, not rather have been... I, I'm 100% where I want to be, and where, but something else I would have wanted to do with my life when I was younger, military. Literally. I mean, I really do believe, and there's no way to prove it or disprove it at this point, but I really firmly believe down deep in my soul that I would have gone and given my life on a battlefield somewhere because the politicians sent us over there for their own filthy lucre's sake. And I'd have gone wearing the, wearing the uniform and the badge and the flag and, and been willing to get blown up for it. Especially after the planes hit 9-11. Nothing, I'll never forget that day being called into that great big old sanctuary. Sitting down there, a 3,000 seat auditorium at Bible College. And they put the news up on the screen that they lowered down, which is usually for missionaries only, you know, kind of deal. It wasn't like a, one of those kind of screens. They lowered the screen, let us watch the news to see what happened. You know the only thing that kept me from just quitting Bible school and going down to the recruiting office and signing up to be a Marine? I had recently just met Grace. <laughs> I kid you not. That was literally the only thing that was driving me more than I'm going to kill somebody. But really, you worried about November? You, you guys think that if Donald Trump gets into office, or the DeSantis guy, 
got into office, that that's going to solve America's problems? Somebody like Donald Trump gets into office that doesn't know how to restrain his, his, his words, you know what he's going to do? Even if he turns the economy around for this long, he's going he's gonna to add a bunch of gasoline and fuel into the liberal, leftist, anti-God uh, uh, majority in this nation right now. And as soon as he's out of office, they're going to go ten times harder just like they did last time. Yeah. I'm telling you, Trump ain't your answer. So quit fearing all that stuff. As a Christian, my fear, my focus is on the fear of the Lord. See, in Exodus 14.10, what this is telling you about in verses 7 and 8 is when Israel had been taken out of Egypt. And they got down there and there's the Red Sea in front of them and they look back and there's Pharaoh's army marching toward them. And they're trapped. Now let's give them a break for a second. Because I'm trying, I'm trying to give us a break for a second too. You got the Red Sea in front of you. You got Pharaoh's overwhelming army behind you. And you got no weapons. You got no power. You got women and children with you. And you're stuck. And they look at Moses and they say, You brought us out of that, of the land of Egypt, to get us slain in the wilderness. There's not enough graves in Egypt. My wife and kids are going to die. And you take this stuff that you had no plan? You're the leader. And he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Because when God saw that, God was angry with them. He, they provoked God. Because he said, you didn't see what I just did in bringing you out of Egypt? You haven't looked back and noticed all my might, my wonderful works? You haven't seen my goodness and my mercy? You can't see my plan when you look back at your life? You can't see all God's done? What's wrong with you? In the moment, the pressure, it's overwhelming. What are we going to do? God hasn't done anything about it yet. And there they are. We can see them. Yeah. But God wasn't done. Yeah. Fear in Pharaoh's army just made God mad. Moses falls on his face. God says, get up and tell them to go forward. What are you crying out to me for? You think I brought you out? You think I, you think I brought you out of Egypt? You think I saved your soul to let you get crushed now? I'm still your God and I'm still good and I'm still merciful and I got the power to take you through a bigger problem than you had before. Now put your rod out there and split that sea and let them go through on dry ground and they get through on dry ground and what God used to work a miracle in their life destroyed the enemy. It provoked them. Do you blame them? Do you blame them? Hey, I just harped on you about all the stress on your marriage and your kids and the economy and all the rest of the stuff you're fearing. I just harped on you about it, right? You can just, yeah, you did, preacher. I did. I'm not immune to any of it. I get stressed like you wouldn't believe. And then I got to remember, wait a second. I got some good reasons to stress out sometimes. Honestly. I really do. Then I realized, man, God, you're so good to me and you're so merciful to me that you're sitting up there like, <laughs> look at him. Stop it, Mike. Haven't I taken care of you thus far? I'm going to keep taking care of you. I've told you before, I used to stress the bills so constantly. I mean, so constantly. It was just pathetic. Every month. She got to where she hated the end of the month. Oh, here you go again. Finally, one day I had a breakthrough. 
She said, Mike, you do this every month. I mean, when I quit my job and went full time, I think I, my salary was like 28000 with a wife and kids. So trust me, it was, I had a mortgage and all the rest of that stuff. It was tight. She said, Mike, you do this every month. When are you going to quit? We haven't missed a meal yet and all the bills are paid. Well, a little late on some of them, but not behind. And it clicked in my head. He's always taking care of us. If he got us out of Egypt, if he did all the marvelous things he's done, then I might have a little bit of a problem in front of me and I might not see the way through it, but he's going to take care of us. Yeah. Yes, sir. And man, I, I, I got a lot better about it. And guess what God's done? That was maybe a, more than a decade ago now. God's always taking care of us. Stop fearing the wrong stuff. But when you do, because you're going to, it just shows how good he is that he puts up with it. Look at another one. This one will we'll move fast. They constantly had a fervency for the wrong things. Look at it in verses 14 and 15. Well, verse 13, they soon forgot his works. We talked about that already and waited not for his counsel. So when they forget his works, they stop asking him about their life and about what to do next and about how to do it and about directions to move forward and about how to process it and about how to think about it and about what... See, they, for, they didn't counsel with him. But what did they start doing when they stopped counseling with him? They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request but sent leanness unto their soul. <laughs> they got sick of the manna God was giving them. And they remembered the leeks and the garlics and the onion and the cucumbers and all the wonders of Egypt. They got sick of that manna from heaven. Same thing. Sunday after Sunday. Wednesday after Wednesday. The manna, the manna, the manna, the manna. At first it was a miracle, but after a few years of eating it. You remember back in the good old days? You remember the whiskey and the wine and the women and the beer? You remember the concerts and the parties? Remember the weed? You remember the dope? You remember the good old days? You remember Egypt? The leeks and the garlics and the onion, the excitement of Egypt. Yeah, they let them out on Friday evening for a little bit of a, you know, their opportunity to stretch their legs in the yard. But from Friday after the party all the way back till the next week and Friday, they're in solitary confinement. They're in bondage. And all they can think about is the excitement of a little stroll in the yard on Friday night. Do so. <laughs> You're like, what's he talking about? I'm kind of using some prison terms. <laughs> you want to be in bondage to sin? You forgot what it feels like? You forgot the guilt and the dirty feeling after the fun was over? You forgot Saturday morning through Friday? But all you can think about are the leeks and the garlic and the onions. And the devil wants to just burn that thought down into your soul and get you to resent God and resent doing right and the monotony of church and the monotony of doing right. Hey, they lusted exceedingly. God said, fine, if you want some 
quail, I'll just dump some bread on you. But I'm done talking to you. Fine, you want the promotion, you want money, you want to put all that ahead of God, you can't make it to church anymore because you took a better job to make more money. Fine, you can have the job and you can have the money, but I'm done. No more fellowship. He sent leanness to their souls. Boy, give me God. I'll take God over money any day of the week. I'll take God over health any day of the week. I'll take God over pleasure any day of the week. I need God. If my soul is fat and happy, then it doesn't matter what's going on around me. Hey, the Spirit of God can take me through the troubles of life. But instead, they got fervent for things of Egypt. They forgot how good God was. Verses 19 through 21, they lifted up their hearts unto false gods. And that happened when Aaron made the golden calf. You know why they made that golden calf? You know why they lifted up their heart to false gods? Hear me. Here's why. Because if you go back later and you read the passage, you're going to see in the book of Exodus, where Exodus 32.1, Moses tarried a long time on the mountain. God wasn't moving at their pace. Some of you have been praying about something for a long time. And God's like, yeah, I heard you. I heard you. I heard you. Well, God, I mean, God's, God's got three different answers, not just two. Yes, no, and wait. And you know what people do when God's too long in answering? They make them golden calves. God ain't in a hurry. They lifted up their heart to false gods because God wasn't giving them what they wanted when they wanted it. And they lined up with the people of power to get things done in another passage. Look at verse number 28. They joined themselves also into Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague break in among them. Verses 28 and 29, look at verse 35 through 41. But they were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. They served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled with their own works and went a-whoring after their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch as he abhorred his own inheritance. You know what they did? They got fervent for the wrong things. So when God's not giving them what they want, responding to them fast enough, they go and they create their own inventions to make God work. To make God answer. To get some kind of worship going on. Boy, I know the temptation on that one. Because, you know, I'm a pastor. It means everything in the world to me to see souls saved, to see the church growing, to see things getting done. It means everything in the world. But I'll tell you this much, when you start trying to make God's work happen your way, you will mess up. You will provoke His anger. You'll start lining up with things you ought not be lining up with and intermingling. That's why I take the stand I take against the modern day contemporary movement. But I was thinking about that this week and praying on it. I think I need to stop preaching contemporary versus traditional. I think the distinction is biblical versus unbiblical. 
Do you understand that? You know why we use that hymn book? Because it's the most biblical thing you can find to use for a song service. You know why we preach and the emphasis in our church is on the preaching of the Word of God, not teachy lectures and self-help talks and using a little bit of the Bible, but we go down through the passage and preach expository messages to give you the Word of God because it's biblical. Why? Because I don't want to wind up getting fervent for the wrong things. You can turn Bible Believers Church of South Lyon into an idol where you start intermingling with the wrong stuff. You know what the Bible will do? The Bible will keep people out of here that don't want the Bible. I've told you before, church ain't a dating app. I want a bunch of young men in here that want to come here because they want the book, not because they come here looking for a girl. We didn't spend our lives raising our daughters to whore them out to some idiot that comes in and pretends long enough like he's serious about God and the Bible to grab him a good clean wife so he can go back to his filthy life and ruin her. Church ain't a dating app. And we ain't turning it into that. Now that being said, you ought to find the one God has for you, believes the book, it's in the church. It's not wrong with looking for one in church. You ought to look for one in church. You ought to ask God what to send one in church. And I've been asking God for you, so let's just all pray together. Amen. See, God do that thing. But the way we know we're not intermingling with the wrong stuff is by keeping it biblical around here and preaching the Bible. The Bible's the answer. And you ought to be fervent for the Word of God and fervent for the truth and fervent for preaching and fervent for God, even if He says, wait! You ought to say, yes, sir, as long as you're in it, I'll happily wait. Let's get to the last thing and we'll be done. Look at verse 16. Something else that shows the goodness and the mercy of God is He doesn't wipe us out when we're fervent for the wrong thing because we do lose our fervency for God. But frustrated ambition. Verse 16, they envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. And a fire was kindled in their company and the flame burned up the wicked. Look at verse 25. But they murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. You know what shows God's goodness and mercy? Is the me first mentality. See, I see that in verses 16 through 18 is what happened in Numbers chapter 16. Korah, Dathan, and Byram got together and they got 250 of the princes of Israel, men of renown, people with great reputation. And they got this huge company and they came to Moses and said, who do you think you are to exalt yourself over us? We're just people of God just like you are. And, you know, we don't have all this kind of man worship stuff around here. Who do you think you are to be the boss and run the show? And, and he said, okay, he fell on his face, Moses did. He's the meekest man in all the earth. He fell on his face when they came at him like that. And he said, all right, fellas, God's going to show you who's God and who ain't. If I'm God's man, he'll show it. And if you're God's man, he'll show it. And God was going to consume them all. And Moses said, oh, God, please don't. He stepped in the way to, to defend the people. And God said, all right, tell them to divide from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And they divided them up, and the earth opened up and swallowed those guys up straight down into hell. And the Bible says that when they heard their screams, they feared God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like they hear, ah, that echo, because that thing opened up and swallowed them up. You know what they did? They turned on Moses right after that and said, you've consumed the people of God. <laughs> you, you all been around churches, a lot of you have, where there's a bunch of drama going on and church splits going on and power struggles going on. 
I'm telling you something, the fact that God doesn't wipe out Christians for wrecking his church, it shows his goodness and his mercy. Back in the Old Testament, he'd swallow them up straight into hell for messing with his structure. It's the goodness and mercy of God that puts up with our foolishness. The smartest thing you could ever do is don't be like Nadab and Abihu, which is the other example in the book of Numbers. Hey, they're looking at, they're the sons of Aaron. And they're offering fire, you know, they're seeing what God's doing with those guys, and they want what God's doing with those guys, and so they go and they decide they're going to offer fire because they, well, you know, we're all God's people. Trying to do something God didn't want you to do. You know what they wanted? They wanted the preeminence, like diatrophies. They didn't want to come into church and take part. They wanted to come into church and take over. And there's a little bit of that in all of us. Come on, be honest. Don't you like to be recognized? Sure. It's not a sin. It's, it, it's, it's human. Don't you like to be recognized? Sure. Yeah. Don't you like it when somebody says, good job, you're the greatest? Yeah. Sure. But you know what happens with us? We start making it all about me. When you come to church, it ain't supposed to be all about you. Amen. The only reason I'm up here is because God literally put me in the ministry. Amen. I pushed back on it. This was God's will for my life, and that's why I'm standing here. And if God's done with me, I don't want to be here. I do not want to offer strange fire. Yeah. Because when they offered strange fire, God said, burn them up. Yeah. I didn't ask you to do that. That ain't none of your business to do. Get back in your place. And then says, Aaron, don't cry. You are not allowed to weep. You are not allowed to mourn for those boys. They had it coming. They messed up. God before family. Don't cry. Go on about your business. You're a leader and they're watching. Now get at it. That scares me. Because do you know how often I've had the me first mentality? Do you know how often I've wanted something God didn't give me. And I've seen God give it to somebody else and said, why didn't you give it to me? Man, ain't you glad you ain't in the Old Testament? And even back then, when God opened up and swallowed him up, opened up the earth and swallowed him, he was still good. Ain't you glad God ain't opened up the earth and let your pew drop straight down into hell? I've I've had God say it to me. I, I sit there and I don't know why you're up there and I'm not. Okay, I don't either, but if you want to take it to the church for a vote, I mean, like, you know. We've had people get mad and leave the church because they don't get recognized enough. They think when they walk in, everybody's going to bow and notice their greatness, you know. Why, why don't you sign up for the cleaning schedule? Or you want everybody to bow at your greatness? Why don't you go wipe a toilet? Clean their toilets so they can use it. When you want them to recognize and love and respect you, clean their toilets, take out their trash. Run a vacuum and clean up the lint. Pick up after them when they didn't pick up after themselves and should have, by the way. And do it with a sweet spirit because you love God because it ain't about you, it's about Jesus. Now watch this. Here's my conclusion. We're done. Look down at the end of the chapter. Go with me to verse 45. He remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. When they forgot him, he remembered them. (laughs) 
How many times does it say he, they forgot him? They forgot his works. They forgot what he'd done. They forgot his counsel. And when you forget God, he doesn't forget you. <laughs> Isn't that great? Because he's good. Because he's merciful. Look at verse 46. They feared the enemy, right? He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them away captives. They're fearing the enemy, and God uses the enemy to take care of them. The economy. Yeah, what if God uses the economy to judge this nation and feed you straight through the famine, and you were worried about nothing when you should have just been fearing God and on your face before Him, taking your problems to Him, and watching Him use what you fear to bless you and help you? That's how, he, that's how good He is. Look at verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. They became fervent to sin and he more fervently saved them. In verse 47. Remember all the sin they'd been getting into with the calf and all the rest of that? And the more they sinned, the more fervently he saves. Isn't that great? You mean God knew all the mess-ups you were going to do after you were saved and made sure that His blood covered it from here to the finish line. His blood covers it from here to the finish line. You're eternally secure. Look at the last one in verse 48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting and let all the people say amen. Praise you the Lord. Throughout the course of Israel's history, they were fervent to exalt themselves. Frustrated ambition. Me first. And God still forgave him and gave him another chance to bless him, honor him, glorify him, and serve him. In spite of the fact that their service oftentimes had the wrong motives behind it, God still forgave him and gave him another chance. Do you know why? Because of his goodness. Because of his mercy. Now here's my conclusion this morning. Not trying to get on you about getting right. But maybe, maybe something the Lord touched this morning and, and you really do need to get it right. Let His goodness bring you to repentance. But maybe, maybe, maybe that's not really it this morning. Maybe some of you have been beating yourself up too much and you recognize all your failures. And the problem is you're forgetting how good and how merciful He is. And in spite of you, because he's so good, he still loves you, he still wants to use you, he still wants to bless you. And so maybe this morning for you, the invitation is just, just come praise him a little bit. Just come tell him how good he is. Just let him know that you know it. And get your mind back on track between you and God. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed.